Lord, what a beautiful day just to get together, just to worship you, have fellowship, learn of you, grow in you. Pray that we do not walk out of this service here without knowing you on a deeper level and putting it into practice, Lord. Not just hearing it, but putting it into practice in all we do and say in your name. Amen. Hey, you want to put that map up there for me? I appreciate that. We're going to be doing Mark 7, 24 through 37. Mark seven twenty four through 37. And there's only two main words you need to know tonight. So if I just give you the two words, you can go ahead and get going here if you want. Um, one word is worship and the other word is sigh. S-I-G-H. That's all you need to know. That's what we're going to be talking about here is this idea of worship and sigh. Now the reason I put this map up is I believe it's important to understand where these titles and these names and these locations are coming from. It really helps you do this. I remember one day I was just started studying out all the distances in the Bible. What did it mean when Jesus walked from Nazareth to Jerusalem to the Sea of Galilee? And it really puts in perspective there when you start seeing the distances that they walk to really have a deeper understanding of, okay, it's not like us just jumping in the car and saying, I'm going to drive to town and I'll be there in 15 minutes. No, these were days trips. So I just want to show you a couple things here real quick. You got Jerusalem right there, Nazareth, we're talking 75, 80 miles there. So anytime it says he went from his hometown, Nazareth, to Jerusalem, you're talking a couple days here of traveling. The last week we said that there was people that came up to the Sea of Galilee and they came from Jerusalem. That's quite a trek, about 80-some miles. That's quite a trek back then. The reason I put this map up here for you tonight is because we're going to be all the way up here now. Tyre and Sidon, all the way here. And then right here in the middle, this is the Decapolis cities. There's 10 of them. And that's where we're going to be at tonight. So you can see when he's up here in Tyre and Sidon, he's at the northern end of Israel. He's actually getting into Gentile territory. That's why in Mark 7, verse 24, it says, From there he arose and went to the region of Tyre and Sidon. They're making sure you know he is leaving basically Israel. He's getting farther away from Israel. And he's getting definitely into very Gentile area up here. And so this is a big deal. And I'm going to leave this map up so you can just kind of see. You can start to see the distance here from Jerusalem all the way up to Tyra and Sidon. Verse 24, from there he rose and went to the region of Tyra and Sidon. And he entered a house and wanted no one to know it. But he could not be hidden. For a woman whose young daughter had an unclean spirit heard about him, and she came and fell at his feet. This woman was a Greek, a Syrophoenician by birth, and she kept asking him to cast the demon out of her daughter. But Jesus said to her, Let the children be filled first, for it's not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the little dogs. And she answered and said to him, Yes, Lord, yet even the little dogs under the table eat from the children's crumbs. And he said to her, For this saying, Go your way, the demon has gone out of your daughter. And when she had come to her house, she found the demon gone out and her daughter lying on the bed. What a fascinating little story. Anytime Jesus is calling someone a dog, you have to stop here a little bit and find out what's going on. We've already established in verse 24, he's getting into the very Gentile area. Remember, the Gentile is just a fancy word that means that you are not Jewish. So he's getting into area here that is not Jewish. And now as he's up there in this area, he goes into a house. Doesn't want anybody to know, but he can't be hidden. I love verse 24, the last part, but he could not be hidden. Some other translations that you can't keep him a secret. Why is it in the Bible? Why is it in the Bible? Where Jesus wanted to be hidden and kept a secret, he never could be. And anytime he told somebody, don't tell anybody about me, they went and told him. Fast forward 2,000 years later, he is begging us to go tell people about him, but yet we want to keep him a secret. You ever see how that got flipped around a little bit? See, these people knew who Jesus was. They were so touched and experienced by what he did. I mean, imagine running into a guy that raised your kid from the dead. 
cast out a demon, that you were part of a crowd of 15,000 people and you were miraculously fed, you would want to tell everybody. You would want to. The problem is now 2,000 years later, to be quite honest, we are so used to the idea that Jesus died on the cross for our sins and it doesn't really mean anything to us anymore. Hebrews warns us about being careful that you do not take something that is holy and make it profane or considered normal. I mean, that last song we just did, as I was just thinking about those words, I'm thinking, wow, Lord, we're teaching, one of the points we're teaching on tonight is worship. And the last phrase we just sang, the reason I live is to worship you. Now, we just sang that. Now, if I came to you 20 minutes ago, and I said, hey, strange question to start the service off with. What's the reason you live? I mean, would you have said to worship him? No, but we just sang it, right? How often do we just say things? We just sing things. We mark verses. We underline verses. Like, oh, that's a really good verse. I, I was in my devotions this morning, and I'm going through Psalm 119. I just love that chapter. And one of the phrases in that chapter was, um, I want to meditate on your word day and night. And I really started thinking about that. And Psalm 1, about the righteous man meditates on the word day and night. Joshua 1, 8, do not let this book of law depart from your mouth, but meditate on it day and night. So I said, okay, Lord, what does that look like? I, I, that's what I want to do today. So I'm out mowing and my mind's just wandering, you know. Lord, I want to. I prayed for it. I desire it. But there's flesh. The reason I live is to worship you. Yep, until there's a ball game on. The reason I live is to worship you until you got to do the laundry. We just got to be careful because here he is wanting to be hidden in 24, but he can't be. And nowadays he says, proclaim me openly. It's like, yeah, Lord, that's awkward. I don't want to say anything. Let's get out there and make sure that Jesus is not hidden. Now, we have to talk about this woman. Her daughter has an unclean spirit, has a demon. Absolutely everything is against her. Everything is against her. Jump now to Matthew 15 with me, please. Matthew 15, same account, adds a few other details that I think are very important to talk about. Matthew 15. Matthew 15, start in verse 21 with me. Jesus went out from there and departed to the region of Tyron, Sidon, and behold, a woman of Canaan came from that region and cried out to him, saying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David, my daughter is severely demon-possessed. But he answered her not a word. And his disciples came and urged him, saying, Send her her way, for she cries out after us. But he answered and said, I was not sent except to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Then she came and worshipped him, saying, Lord, help me. But he answered and said, It's not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the little dogs. And she said, Yes, Lord, yet even the little dogs eat the crumbs which fall from the master's table. And then Jesus answered and said to her, O woman, great is your faith. Let it be to you as you desire. And her daughter was healed from that very hour. Now, the reason I read that again is I want you to see just a couple important details added to this. This is why we have four accounts of the life of Jesus. I don't do this legalistically, but I just try in my devotional time. I try to be in an Old Testament book, a New Testament epistle, and one of the Gospels all at the same time. That way I'm, I'm, I'm getting the Old Testament, I'm getting the New Testament, but I'm always trying to study the life of Jesus. And here's a great example of why it's important to look at the different Gospel accounts of the same story. Because Matthew's account just adds a couple different things. Okay, everything is against this woman. First off, her background is against this woman. Okay? Her background. She is a, a Greek. She's a Phoenician. She's not 
an Israelite. She's not a Jew. That's why Jesus says to her in 24, I was not sent except to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. His mission was to come save the Jews, to die for Israel and the world, but he came for the Jews. So she's got the wrong background. Number two, she's the wrong sex. She's a woman. Jesus shouldn't even really be talking to her as a good Jewish man. Here she is, a non-Jew, trying to talk to him. She's the wrong sex. Number three, it's the wrong geography. She lives in the wrong area. She's not even in Israel. She's this Canaanite, this idea from Tyre and Sidon. And everybody is against her. Even the disciples are against her. Take a look at 23. But he answered her not a word. And his disciples came and urged him, saying, Send her away, for she cries out after us. Boy, the disciples really have this ministry thing down. Anytime it gets too difficult, they want people to leave. We don't have enough food. Send them away. This person's too much of a problem. Send them away. Sad thing, ministry has not changed in 2,000 years. This one's too difficult. Send them away. Jesus loves working with difficult cases. So this woman's background's against her. Her sex is against her. Her geography is against her. Even the disciples are against her. So what does she do? She plays to the crowd, 22. Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely demon-possessed. Jesus, what does he do, 23? Answered her not a word. It's always funny how we present Jesus as this all-encompassing God of love. And every now and then he does something like 23. I tell you, one of the biggest things you could do to tick me off is to ignore me. I hate being ignored. And here's the God of the universe that is not without, excuse me, with a sinless. And 23 is ignoring her. Why? Because everything's against her. Background, sex, geography, disciples. But I want to throw another little part there. Why is he not responding to her? Because look how she approached him in 22. Son of David. Now, now, just let your mind think for a little bit. This is the stuff we get to do on a Wednesday night that we don't get to do on a Sunday. Son of David. That is a completely, utterly Jewish term. Son of David. The Messiah was the descendant of David. She is trying to approach him as a Jew. She's not. She's trying to grab on to this Jewish mindset, coattails, whatever. Hey, I've heard other people refer to him as the son of David. Other people have done this. And he's responded, yeah, because they were Jews. It doesn't do any good for her. She doesn't have that relationship. He's not going to play by your rules. What does this mean for us 2,000 years later? You can't approach God just because of some magic prayer, some magic confirmation, some magic catechism, some magic sacrament. It doesn't work, folks. You can't jump through those hoops. You approach Him with your heart. You approach Him with confession of your mouth and you believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead. He ignores her. Not even ignores her. Verse 24, basically talking to her without talking to her, saying, she's not Jewish. I want nothing to do with her. So what does she do now? Oh, wow. 25. She came and worshipped him, saying, Lord, help me. I tell you guys, that, that verse... is just it, It's one of the most amazing verses to me in the Bible. It's right up there with the verse of, Lord, help my unbelief. Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. These tiny, short little prayers that just cut right to the heart. 
She can't use the right wording. She doesn't have the right genetics. She doesn't have the right sex. She doesn't have the right background. Disciples are against her. What does she have? Verse 25. She's got worship. That's all she's got. So, Jesus, I'm just going to sit at your feet. Because we already know that she's at his feet. We read that in the Mark's account. And she's just going to worship and say, Lord, help me. Now he responds. that's, That's the power of worship. Now, please understand and don't hear what I'm not saying. Worship does not get you farther with the Lord. Okay? If I just raise my hands more, if I just clap on beat, and if I just sing in tune, and I just praise really loud, and I do this, God will hear me. Nope. God wants your heart. Verse 25, she's still worshiping even though he's declining her. What did Job say in the midst of his trials and tribulations? Though he what? Slay me. I will still worship him. Job, even if he kills me, I'm still going to follow him. Job said, naked I came from my mother's womb. Naked I shall return. Blessed be the name of the Lord. The Lord giveth and the Lord taketh away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Can you learn to worship God even when nothing is utterly working out? You know, I already, since we're going to make a list of things that tick me off, I already told you things that tick me off is when I'm ignored. Another thing that ticks me off when somebody calls me up and they're having a bad day, and I get that, people have bad days, that doesn't bother me. But in the midst of that bad day, in the midst of that struggle, I start trying to tell them the power of worship and the power of focusing on the Lord, and they have the audacity to tell me, I have nothing to praise God about. Boy, that makes me angry. His death on the cross wasn't enough? Well, I mean, yeah, but I'm saying right now there's nothing good in my life. You are born again and saved in Jesus Christ, heading to heaven, saved from the fires of hell, and you got nothing to worship him about? Man, that is a glimpse into your ugly, dark heart right there. There's always something to worship God, because here it is, folks. Worship's not about you. It's not. Don and I read this book one time, and the pastor made just this comment about how often people analyze worship. And they'll say this, how is worship today? And all of a sudden, we become music critics about worship. The volume was too high. The volume was too low. I didn't like the way they played that song. I did like the way they played that song. I didn't like the people up there leading. Oh, I did like the people up there leading. Oh, the slides. Did you see all the misspellings in the slides? We sit there and we become a music critic. And he says, how was worship? What a silly question. Worship was amazing because God is amazing. We've got to be careful of the whole music critic thing. Now, get it. I get it, guys. There's styles that we like to worship. There's styles that we don't like to worship. I get that. But worship's not about you. And so the pastor's comment back was when somebody says, oh, I really didn't like worship. I didn't get anything out of it. His response is, I didn't know it was about you. I thought it was about God. Guys, I have been, and, and I'm not talking here because I would not, I mean that sincerely. I have been to some places where it was what I would say really bad worship. I'm thankful that I have a big enough God that can find something to worship about him even in bad worship. Because he's a good God. I have never been in worship that was so quote unquote bad that I said, sorry Lord, I got nothing. I mean, I got nothing, Lord. I can't even think of one good attribute to praise you about because this is so bad. No. Our God is so good and so big, there's always something. 
And I want you to let go of the music critic mindset that we have. I I used this example before. On my uh, car, I have six different Christian radio stations plugged in. And as soon as I'm listening to a song that comes on and I'm not a fan of it, what do I do? I just flip to the next one. Flip to the next one. So I find the song that I want to hear. And what happens is you come into corporate worship and they start playing a song. You're like, "Eh, I don't have anything out of it. And you realize, I can't flip to the next song. I have to stand here. Oh, next one comes up. Oh, good. This is one I like. Eyes closed, hands up. Next one. Ah, I like the way they do it on the radio better. No. And then that's, we can't, we become music critics. Psalm 22.3. Listen to this. I'm reading this out of the King James. But thou art holy. O thou inhabits the praises of Israel. God is inhabited in the praises of his people. That's deep, folks. The presence of God is in our praising Him. And so therefore, when we have this critical spirit, and and it doesn't mean that you're not allowed to say, hey, I think we could lovingly try to do this better. That's not what I'm saying. You can say that prayerfully, can critique, prayerfully say, can we help? Prayerfully, can we do this? I'm saying when we come in with the negative attitude, I'm telling you, you're losing all the blessing of worship right then and there. Can you go with me to Psalm 100, please? Every Sunday morning I get up and I pray through Psalm 100 and Psalm 122. I think these two psalms are very, very important. I love these two psalms. Psalm 122, you don't need to turn there, says, I was glad when they said to me, let us go into the house of the Lord. And I pray that. I want to be glad to be here. I mean, can you imagine if I came in on a Sunday or Wednesday and said, hey guys, let's just get this over with, okay? I mean, guys, you see, it's really nice outside. So... I asked Marv to cut worship down to one song. We're only going to do a few verses and we'll be out of here by 725, I promise. No. I want to stay. Tonight we're going to 9 o'clock, folks. I mean, I want to be here. But Psalm 100. Just look at Psalm 100 with me. It's only five verses. Make a joyful shout to the Lord, all you lands. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before his presence with singing. As I'm praying through this on Sunday morning, Psalm 100... Lord, I, I want us to have a joyful shout. I want to serve the Lord with gladness. And I just start thinking. As I'm, as I'm praying this, I just start, and I just start up here, and I go through the entire church as best as I can to memory. So I start praying, be it for Marv, or be it for Bethany, or, or be it for Josh. And then I just move through as much as I can to remember to all the different people singing, and then we get to the people playing acoustic. Maybe it's Marv, or maybe it's Jim, or maybe it's Ellen. I get to the bass. I spend a lot of time on the bass players. And then I get to the drummers. <laughs> I just had to throw that in there. And then I, I sound room, and then I go to the nursery, and I'm thinking, Lord, I pray we could serve the Lord with gladness. Come before your presence with singing. Because jump ahead. Verse 3, know that the Lord, He is God. Not you, He's God. It is He who has made us. I'm praising Him for making me, not we ourselves. We are His people, the sheep of His pasture. Enter into His gates with thanksgiving and to His courts with praise. Be thankful to Him. Bless His name. For the Lord is good and His mercy is everlasting. His truth endures to all generations. I want to enter His gates with thanksgiving and to His courts with praise. I want to be thankful. I want to bless Him. Why? Verse 5, because the Lord is good. Not because the singers are good, the instruments are good, the style is good, the slides are good. It's because the Lord is good. Now, we all got styles we like. I have a distinct style I like. But I also know in corporate worship, it's important just to come and say, Lord, you're good. I'm just going to let it go because you're good. And I love this back now to Matthew 15. 
She tried to get the wording right. Oh, Lord, son of David, my daughter is severely demon-possessed. She gets ignored. So what does she do in 25? She just worships him and says, Lord, help me. Man, the power of that. The power of that. So what happens now? He says, it's not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the little dogs. Now, now please note the heart of Jesus. He, he is fishing and stretching and seeing responses. He does this. Anytime you see Jesus ask a question in the Bible, he's not asking a question because he doesn't know. It's a probing question. Who do you say that I am? Why do you call me good? Only God is good. I believe he's trying to stretch her a little bit. So what's her response? Verse 27, I'll just take a crumb. That's all I want, Jesus, just a crumb. And he says in 28, that's your faith. See, see, Jesus, I I don't need to sit at the table. I don't need the full meal. I will be the little puppy. Remember, the word little dog there literally means puppy. It's actually not an insult. It's a term of endearment. I'll be the little puppy that's happy for a crumb. There's a great passage in Psalms. It talks about how it's better to be what? A gatekeeper in heaven than anywhere else. As long as my foot is in heaven, I'm happy with whatever the Lord gives me for all of eternity. I'll take a crumb. Because even a crumb from the table of Jesus is better than anything else this world can offer. I tell you, that's the way it's to be. And she says, I'll take the crumb. And Jesus says, your faith is amazing. Go. Daughter's healed. See, now this makes sense to us because we have Paul's epistles. And Paul uses this term called the mystery. What was the mystery? The mystery was that the Gentiles were going to have the gospel offered to them as well. At this time, this was completely, utterly unheard of. Jesus, why are you talking to a woman that has the wrong background, the wrong geography? Why are you doing anything for these heathen people? Some rabbis at this time taught that the only reason Gentiles existed were to be the fire, excuse me, to be the fuel for hell. God says there's more going on. So the mystery is revealed now that we can see the truth of what's going on. It's not earth-shattering to us because we're Gentiles and we're saved. 2,000 years ago, this was completely, utterly earth-shattering. Completely, utterly earth-shattering. Please understand the love of God here to be able to come and say to this woman, you can be healed. You can be a part of me. Boy, guys, that's the grace and mercy of Jesus Christ. You've got to absolutely love that. That's the mystery that's being revealed. So, we'll stop right there because we'll jump back now to Mark chapter 7. We're going to do our second one here. Anybody got any quick questions over anything here with this one about making sure we understand the story of the gal and her daughter getting healed and just the Lord's moving and working there? Any quick questions? We're good? Okay. Moving on to the next one now. 31, Mark 7. Again, departing from the region of Tyre and Sidon, he came through the midst of the region of Decapolis to the Sea of Galilee. Right here, guys. He's moving from Tyre and Sidon, coming down to the Sea of Galilee. And these are the cities of Decapolis right here. So that's where he's at. I like you guys to be able to visualize this. 32, then they brought to him one who was deaf and had an impediment to his speech. And they begged him to put his hand on him. And he took him aside from the multitude, put his fingers in his ears, and he spat and touched his tongue. Then looking up to heaven, he sighed and said to him, Apaphatha, that is, be opened. Immediately his ears were opened and the impediment of his tongue was loosed and he spoke plainly. Then he commanded them that they should tell no one, but the more he commanded them, the more widely they proclaimed it. And they were astonished beyond measure, saying, He has done all things well. He makes both the deaf to hear and the mute to speak. 
This is a fascinating story as well. You see in 32, friends bringing him. This reminds me a little bit of some of the other times that we've seen people lower their friends to the roof. These friends had faith, which just get them to Jesus. But look how Jesus heals them in 33. This, this is a unique one. I want you just to follow a couple points with me in 33. Number one, took him away from the multitude. I think that's important. Sometimes there's public ministry, sometimes there's private ministry. I've seen people that they only are willing to minister when it's public. Make sure the crowds are watching, the attention is there. Let's make sure it's on social media. Let's make sure we get our pats on the back. God makes it abundantly clear. If you're ministering and serving to get pats on the back, he makes it clear in the Gospels, get your praise from men, that's fine. But you're not going to get any praise from God. I like it that he says, let's get you away from everybody. And he takes them and pulls them away. Sometimes there's just private ministry. What else does he do there in uh, 33? He put his fingers in his ears and he spat and touched his tongue. Imagine the next time you come up and say, hey, James, could you pray for me? Sure. Hold on a second. Let me put my fingers in your ears and let me spit and touch your tongue. Why in the world would he do that? A lot of different ideas. Some are kind of funky. One of them was that they believed at this time that your saliva had medicinal purposes. That was one idea that was thrown out there. Um, One of them was, hey, keep it simple. The guy can't hear. So therefore, Jesus is trying to tell them, I'm going to heal your ears. So I'm I'm putting my fingers right here in your ears. That's, That's what I'm going to heal. I mean, if you've ever spoken to someone who cannot hear, I do not know sign language. And then we have some people that we minister to that can't hear real well. You find yourself playing charades. And I don't say that to mock. You're you're trying to communicate. If you've ever spoken to someone in a foreign language and you don't speak, you use whatever hand motions, gestures you can to say, do you understand what I'm saying here? You know, in other times where Jesus healed, there was a lot of other words. He only has one word here in 34. That's all he says. He probably spoke it very plainly to some they could hopefully understand it. Jesus is allowed to heal whatever way he wants. And him by always doing it differently, there's no set rules to copy. Can you imagine if Jesus healed the exact same way every time? We would just cookie cutter that. Jesus is allowed to heal in any different way he wants right there. I also see the importance of touch. This goes back to what we talked about earlier with the disciples. Every time someone came wanting to get ministered to him, you see the disciples a lot of times wanting to push him away. Got to be willing to touch the the untouchable sometimes. If you remember the story where the uh, boy died and the mom came and got Elisha and said, my son is dead, will you come? And Elisha sent ahead his servant Gehazi with his staff. And he went to Gehazi and he said, when you get there to the dead boy, just touch the boy with my staff. So Gehazi gets there and touches the boy with the staff and nothing happens. Elisha shows up and the Bible says that Elisha then lays down on top of the boy, face to face, hand to hand, foot to foot, touching And every time we teach that, we say this. God wants you to go out there and touch the untouchables and represent Jesus. You just can't touch him from a distance with the staff. That's what makes us feel comfortable. I don't want to get involved in their lives. I just want to send money from a distance. I don't want to do it, but I'll get somebody else to help them. Or, you know what, can't we just do this or that? Sometimes you've got to get in there and you've got to do 33. You've got to touch the tongue. Please don't do it literally unless the Lord is really leading you. It shows what ministry is supposed to be. See, we we keep this idea of ministry. And if you would look at some of these words in the Bible for ministry, 
about encouraging and uplifting, these words we just throw out. Some of them literally means to come alongside them and pick them up. That ministry may be, you know what, you need to come stay with me for a while because if not, you're going to get yourself in some big trouble. Ministry may be, you know what, I need to go stay with you for a while. Ministry may be that, you know what, we're going to talk and text every day until you're through this trial and tribulation. Ministry may be, you know what, this is really ugly, I get it, and I only had 20 minutes to spare, but you know what, we're on hour number three and it's okay because I want to represent Jesus to you and I'm going to let go of my time. You've got to get out there sometimes and be willing to touch the tongue. And it's not something that sometimes we want to do. What else do we do then? 34. Look up to heaven. Can you go with me now to Colossians, please? Colossians chapter 3. One of those random memories from being a kid. I used to have a kid that I knew that I used to go to church with. And um, every time the teacher would say, let's all close our eyes, bow our head, and, and fold our hands to pray. And you know why that is, so you don't touch anybody, get distracted, whatever. It's not in the Bible, but that's what we're told to do. He would never would do it. Um, he said he thought when he was looking down, he was looking at hell. So he didn't want to direct his prayers. And I was thinking about that. Here's Jesus looking up. Take a look at Colossians 3, verse 1. If then you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above. For Christ is sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on things on the earth. Don't ever be legalistic about the posture of prayer. But I tell you, maybe it is look up for a while. Remind you what you're you're doing, eternity. Looking up. What would happen if we'd have this mindset and everything? I'm just going to look up. Bad day at work. I'm going to look up. Rough time in the marriage. I'm going to look up. I don't feel so well. I'm going to look up. I'm going to set my mind on things above, not on things on the earth. I'm going to seek those things which are above. I'm going to look at Jesus here, and I'm going to do what he did. Looking up to heaven. Keep a heavenly mindset. If you're like me, most of the time where you get discouraged and depressed and downtrodden, it's because you're not looking up. You're looking at something on this earth. A health issue, a financial issue, a marriage issue, a relationship issue, fill in the blank. You're not looking at the Lord. And when you don't look at the Lord, what happens? We just studied out Peter walking on the water a couple weeks ago. You're going to sink. Keep your eyes on Christ, and that's what we need to do. Our next word there, and this is our other word we're going to spend a little bit of time on. Verse 34. He sighed. He sighed. Romans 8, please. The power of the sigh. Talk about the power of worship. I don't think you realize how powerful a sigh is. Not a sarcastic sigh. Some of you are very, very good at sarcastic sighs with eye rolls. That is not of the Lord. Not the exasperated sigh of a parent. Not a frustrated sigh. A spiritual sigh... Of I can't even put into words. Romans 8, 26. Likewise, the Spirit also helps us in our weaknesses, for we do not know what we should pray, for as we ought, but the Spirit himself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. Now he who searches the heart knows what's the mind of the Spirit is, because he makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. Have you ever been so completely, utterly overwhelmed with the situation, you can't even pray with words. You can sigh and you can cry. 
You're praying. You're praying right that moment. Your heart is not able to articulate the words. And you literally just sit there. And you just, oh, Lord. That's all you can say. Just, oh, Lord. God's like, I got it. Completely understood. Took, took all that emotion, took all that fear, took all that worry, took all that concern. And I completely understood it because I'm fluent in sighing. I'm fluent in moaning. I'm fluent in groaning when you can't articulate it. I am so thankful I serve a God that's so big that I, I don't have to make sure my prayer is articulate. I don't have to pray in King James. I don't have to pray long, drawn-out prayers. In fact, the Gospels actually warn us against long, repetitive prayers. That it's okay that sometimes my prayer is just so full of emotion, it's just, Lord, I can't. Lord, help my unbelief. Lord, help me. And he hears them. And sometimes it's not even that. It's just, he hears it. The Spirit helps us in our weakness. Look at 26. For we do not know what we should pray for as we ought. But the Spirit himself makes intercession for us with groanings which not, cannot be honored. I, I, I don't even know what to pray, Lord. This, this, this situation is so completely, utterly overwhelming. I mean, in most of the situations, there's a clear this. And there's a clear that. This one is such a mess. I, I don't even know where to start. So all I can do is sigh. God's like, got it. Boy, isn't that relieving? I just find that so utterly relieving that I can just come to the Lord sometimes and just think of that person in my head and just sigh and say, oh Lord, God's got it. Parents, you don't even know what to pray for your kids. It seems like such a lost cause. Then just sigh for them. You know, you are so utterly overwhelmed with the situation, you don't even know what to say. You can't, I mean, you can't even pray. You know, it talks about how in the Psalms that I'm so tired of crying, I don't even have any tears left. Jeremiah in Jeremiah 9 said he wishes that he had more tears to cry because he ran out of them. Just sigh. That's what Jesus did. So he sighs, 34, and just simply says, be opened. Immediately, his ears are opened. And the pediment of his tongue was loosed and he spoke plainly. Wow. That's fascinating. Just like that he can hear. Just like that he can speak. You may not realize it, but that's fulfilled prophecy. Because no one else can do that. It was prophesied back in Isaiah that only the Messiah could do that. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened. The ears of the deaf shall be unstopped. Then the lame shall leap like a deer, and the tongue of the dumb sing. For water shall burst forth in the wilderness, and streams in the desert. Isaiah 35, 5 and 6. See, now you guys are probably familiar with the phrase, streams in the desert. It's a great devotional, streams in the desert. But before that, the eyes of the blind shall be opened. We've seen that. The ears of the deaf shall be unstopped. Just saw it. The lame shall leap like a deer. We've seen that. And the tongue of the dumb sing. If you remember correctly, when John the Baptist was in prison and he was kind of struggling a little bit and he sent messengers to Jesus and he said, are you the Messiah or should we look for another? You remember Jesus' response? Tell John, the deaf can hear, the blind can see, the lame can walk. Because it was completely understood, only the Messiah can do that. And therefore, our response is, verse 37, they were astonished beyond measure, saying, he has done all Things well. 
astonished beyond measure, saying, He has done all things well. Hence, full circle, the reason I live is to worship you. Because you realize, seriously? I'm going to fight for my piece of the pie down here? I'm going to do that. I'm really going to get upset that I'm not getting the attention and the glory I think I deserved on a planet that's going to burn? I don't have enough attention from people. I don't have enough pats on the back for people. Where I should really be looking at verse 37 and be astonished beyond measure, saying Jesus has done all things well. My whole job is to reflect and deflect. Reflect everything back to Christ. Deflect everything back to Christ. And guess what? I have more peace and joy. When you start fighting for the attention and the glory, man, oh man, it's a sad place to be. So you know what? Right now it is a very dark season in some of your lives. Maybe financially, maybe emotionally, spiritually, physically, relationship-wise. You still serve a good God that can be worshipped. Sit at His feet and just do what the Gentile woman did. Lord, help me. Maybe your prayer life is no longer a prayer life. It's just a prayer life of tears and sighing. Aren't you glad God's fluent in that? It's a beautiful, beautiful picture there. This is what the Lord can do. And I'm so thankful that we see this God coming to areas on our map here that the Jews didn't want to go to, but the Savior did. And said, I will go touch the untouchables, and I'm going to represent Jesus to them. Oh, man, that's what it is. All right. Hey, do we got any final questions about anything here before we close up with a word of prayer? John. Mm-hmm. So they had no understanding of hearing. He didn't have anything in his brain. So when the Lord opened his ears and his tongue, when he then had to put in all that he didn't hear into his brain and his memory to speak. Yes and no. He also could have lost his hearing later on in life. We don't know exactly when he lost his hearing. Okay. So if he was from an infant deaf, then yes, there would be a lot of knowledge that would be imparted at that time. If he would have been an older person that would have had hearing, then wouldn't have been able to. Yeah, so good question, though. Yeah, Mark.
Yeah. Yeah, I think about Philippians. Therefore God has also highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name, that the name of Jesus every knee should bow, of those in heaven, of those on earth, and of those under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. It's a powerful name. Amen. Anybody else got any other questions here or anything before I close up? All right. Could you guys stand with me, please? Let's pray. Lord, help us to have a heart of worship. Every moment of the day, every hour of the day, we're glorifying you for what you have done because you are a good God. Lord, help us in our times of difficulty to allow the Spirit himself to intercede. And Lord, those sighing prayers, you know, I'm thankful that you're a God that cares. You're a God of grace, mercy, and healing, and we love you and we praise you. Help us to go represent that and always say and do in your name, in the powerful name of Jesus, that every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess. Thank you in your name. Amen. You guys have a good week and God bless.